Blog Talk Radio. Tech, I think, with John Destunes at one time. 
And, uh, you know, he, he just loves tennis. And I'm going on and on here. I wouldn't want to embarrass him as he came on. But, um, you know, a friend, a, uh, and I go, I, I ask him about ideas. You know, I put in here, you know, there are very few people uh, as hungry for knowledge and as inquisitive uh, as he is about how things are done, how to get better at tennis, how, you know, and, and just, he's just one of those people that loves tennis. And I, I love tennis, but I, I hate to say that, um, I haven't met anyone that loves more than than he does, and and we'll we'll see what happens. But uh, anyhow, we've got uh, Coach JP coming on, and I needed to say that he was the originator at, um, of course, at uh, the Yellow Ball Network, and um, he really really has emphasized fundamentals and really has done just the right thing. And I'm going to say this before he gets on as well, that I I heard this probably a year or two ago, and this is the truth about great teachers, uh, whether it's a great preacher, great teacher, great coach, great, great mentors, they never, ever put the messenger ahead of the message. And I, th- I think that's how you tell that somebody is somebody special, that you sort of have to dig for information about what they did. You know, the, the folks that come out and they put a billboard out there about themselves. And, um, <clears throat> you know, at first, and they put the messenger ahead of the message, eh, not, not so good. But the great people, the people of wisdom will put the messenger message ahead of the messenger and he absolutely has always done that i wanted to mention this as we before we got started too there there's a book out there and all of you if your parents or I, I talked to a couple parents last night actually had one uh, parent called me i felt like a million bucks after young boy he had a young boy call me had just done really really well at at uh <clears throat> the uh, little one of the little mo events and um, you know, the parent called me and let me share and talk to the young man again and 12 or 13 years old. And, and I just, uh, there's nothing better than that. And it, you know, and I want to, I'm, I've got purpose in talking to y'all like this because the thing is about our sport is that the fame blows away, just vaporizes and blows away quickly. I'm not going <laughs> to say what I usually say about how fast it passes, but it it just goes away, you know, the popularity on that. But the learning that takes place in the sport of tennis is just, it's unbelievable. What it, it teaches everything. It teaches our youngsters about honesty. It teaches them about hard work. It teaches them about uh, sportsmanship. Uh, sportsmanship, I've got a lot of sayings here that I might go into uh, a fella called me and he said, "Hey, how about doing those sayings that you have? You know." But I got one uh, that uh, great Tut Bartson of TCU told me one time, and actually in my uh, my book, Coaching Tennis, which I'm very proud to say, third third best selling coaching tennis book out there. It's called Coaching Tennis, Chuck Creasy, Masters Press, and. Um, 
actually McGraw-Hill, I think, carries it now. But anyhow, long and the short of it, he said, you never bring shame on the game or your family name is, is sort of the saying that I've said. But genuinely, Tud Bartson was such a gentleman and a fantastic player. I think he was 15-0 and 0 or maybe better than that in Davis Cup. Um, when he played, but uh, then he was a great coach at TCU. Absolutely. Tut, Tut was just the, the ultimate at loving the sport and representing the sport well. But he once said to me, you know, the people, the great sportsmen, what they do is they honor the game and they respect it with such dignity that they do the right things. And that's that's as good as you can say. But let's get back to Coach J.P. Weber here. Um, you know, I, I wanted to um, – Again, I'm hoping he'll come on here. But one time uh, I was um, there was a uh, player that I had years ago, Robert Davis. He's been in Asia for for years now, for 25 or 30 years. He's traveled, you know, on the pro tour, and he's got a book out right now that's fantastic, Robert Davis, and it's um, it's basically stories and, and guidance and. Uh, uh, messages from the the pro tour it's it's a great book look up robert davis um book and i'll i'll get a copy of it here i think and give you more details but he's on the pro tour but he said to me one time he said you know the thing about dennis vandermeer dennis vandermeer is down here he said you know he's been said to be the greatest coach that ever lived because back years and years ago, folks, I used to read World Tennis Magazine. It would come out, you know, whether it was once a month or one, twice a month or whatever. But Dennis Vandermeer always had articles in there about how to do things. And of course, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have much in TV. We had to just scrap and try to find things about ten, find things out about tennis. Well, of course, Dennis Vandermeer was rated as the greatest coach there there was. And Robert Davis said to me one time, he said, look, he's not just one of the greatest coaches, but I think he's the best student of the game that I've ever seen. Uh, he is always looking for new ways of doing things, and, and the hunger of an inquisitive mind that he has is is really, really something. So our program today... Of course, we uh, coach J.P. Weber, the parent, the coach, the player, and um, you know the the inquisitiveness, the hunger of an inquisitive mind. I, I've said this before on the program many times, but folks, it was 1980. 1980. Let's see, that's 42 years ago, and I'm a young coach, and I'm in New York City at the National Teachers Conference put on by the USTA. And I'm there, and I, of course, I went into a packed room and sat in the back where the great Clarence Mabry. Clarence Mabry was the coach at Trinity University. And most people don't realize their team was top ten in the United States or better. Might have been top five from 1955 to 75. They were the gold standard. And of course, they won the national championship in 1972. The great Dick Stockton was the NCAA champion, but they had Brian Gottfried on that team. I think Bob McKinley, Paul Gherkin, 
I'm trying to think of the other guys, but my golly, they were the gold standard. And Clarence Mabry's given a talk, and of course I'm new into college coaching. I've been in it, folks, for about four or five years, and I go, holy cow, and I go in there and I'm just hanging on every word he says and taking my notes. And I, I'll say this, too. This was very influential in a lot of the things I did. I've always remembered these words. And uh, I already mentioned that Daniel Coyle's book, The Talent Code, is something you need to get as a parent. You need to get this because it talks in the first chapter about the hunger of an inquisitive mind, about our youngsters do not learn and they do not grow if they do not have the curiosity to chase down the answers. <laughs> and I'm not going to get sidetracked here, but they have a quote in there, or a, a statement they make is that in uh, our country, in the United States of America, we often make the mistake of bringing our youngsters answers very much like a waiter in a restaurant brings people food. And, of course, you know what happens. I don't know whether you are – if you bring eagles food and put it on the sidewalk all the time and you just let them graze without hunting for it, they can quickly start acting like pigeons. But once people have not had to work in, in hunger and search out the answers, could we make – we make eagles into pigeons, but – do you think you could ever make pigeons into eagles? I don't think so. But the talent code is about this. The talent code is about being hungry and the kids need to reach out for the right answers. And he said in some cultures they understand this and they will give the kids the wrong question, the wrong answers to puzzle them and to make them curious. But that day in 1980, what would it have been? Late August, it was always around Labor Day. Labor Day weekend or around that time in 1980, Roosevelt Hotel, New York City. I'm sitting there and Clarence Mabry is giving this talk and, okay, I'm taking all the notes and this one guy raises his hand, question and answers, and he said, Coach, what is the most important quality of a championship tennis player? What's the most important thing? Well, everybody's thinking, look, it's going to be a big forehand. It's going to be, hey, a special kind of serve. There's going to be some magic dust here somewhere. Well, the magic dust was simple, simple, but it was so right on the mark. He said, I seriously believe that the most important quality of a championship tennis player is the hunger of an inquisitive mind. Wow. Wow. Now, we have a problem here in the USA. We have a problem with um, our kids' curiosity. No, we have the Internet. They don't have to be very curious. They can look stuff up and read it. But really, is reading something off the Internet as important as reading a book and getting the whole stuff or just blurbs here, blurbs there, or watching a video. Holy cow, my wife yells at me all the time about my reading skills. I've written some books, as you know. We've, I've written some books, some 
tennis and of course the history of Clemson University athletics uh, share was co-author with great Bob Bradley and the great Tim Bray not sorry Tim Bray no Sammy Blackman but Tim you were there all the time you're on the tip of my tongue when I think about it but Sammy Blackman and Sammy worked endlessly and Bob Bradley helped toward the end of his life but we we did a great book we did a great book on the history of Clemson athletics but I have not read to the extent that I need to in my lifetime I don't know I could blame that you know dyslexia or I could blame that and all that ADD stuff that I had and Oh, boy, I've remembered. I've got to have Coach Jim Poole on here and Dr. Jim Poole again to talk about the ADD. Well, I'm pushing books, folks. If you have children that are ADD, I want you to call Dr. Jim Poole, P-O-O-L-E, and his book is called Fast Brain, Flipping ADHD on Its Head, is it called Fast Brain. And it comes to the uh, – comes – from the the direction of saying, look, there's nothing wrong with your youngster. You know, they've got a fast brain working here. They're trying to balance. They've got four or five things going on at once in their brain. Yeah, ADHD or whatever you want to diagnose this. But it is the neatest thing how he addresses it as fast brain, B-R-A-I-I-N. Look at that website, folks, Fast Brain, B-R-A-I-I-N-E. N-E? I don't think so. I-I-N, Brain. <laughs> There's my spelling. Okay. All right, is J.P. Weber here yet? No, he's not. I've got to shoot him. I'm going to do a quick commercial, and then I'm going to shoot this, um, uh, see if I can get him here, because we need to have him. I've got an article, folks that my good friend, well, good friend now, great, great, great competitor and great coach at the University of South Carolina. Now, you have to understand, we used to be rivals, big rivals, Clemson University of South Carolina, but great Hall of Fame coach, one of the best ever at South Carolina, Colorado, Rice, the great Ron Smar sent me an article, and all I'm going to say about it is this. We're going to talk about this here in a minute. Round-the-clock indoor pickleball facility plans and opening. Wow. Pickleball. Huh. What in the world? Are you kidding me? What is going on there? Well, we'll be right back in a, in a minute. And this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and, and this is American Tennis. Hi, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and I wanted to remind you that my book, Coaching Tennis, is still on the market, and it has been rated as the third top tennis coaching book of all time. And besides being very proud of that, I'm glad to say that it is still around, and the information is very, very relative, and it will help your son, your daughter, 
your team member, and it will help you improve their tennis. Go to Amazon, and it's Coach Chuck Creasy's, K-R-I-E-S-E, Coaching Tennis, and it is still on the market. And thanks very much for listening to American Tennis. Every week... Hi, and welcome back. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, American Tennis. And uh, Coach J.P. Weber has been blocked out. He must be traveling down through South Georgia here. So he's not been able to call in yet. And so I will try to keep raising raising him up, getting him up here on the phone. And uh, in the meantime, I want to talk about this pickleball thing. So... Anyhow, about <laughs> it's been five or six years ago. I was uh, on a USTA committee, and um, one of the leaders walked in and he said, "Guys, we've got an issue with this sport, pickleball." And I'd never heard of pickleball, but he said a lot of people are going to this sport, pickleball. Well, uh, I think a summer later, we were somewhere in Pennsylvania on vacation with my family. And there were some pickleball courts there, and I remember I played, and we had a wiffle ball and the small little paddles, and like, okay, it's better than racquetball, better than uh, the doggone um, ping pong, I guess. We're outside, but uh, not much to it here because my kids could do it without even my, – my kids were young enough, you know, that had done a little bit of tennis, but my wife could do it, I could do it, everybody could play. And there was not much to it. Now, I've learned a long time ago, and I've always said that easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. Hard to pick up becomes hard to put down. So I'm going to talk about this pickleball stuff. I I know that you know what it is, and if we get Coach Weber on here, I want to get his ideas on it. But everybody is panicking in tennis. In the USTA, I think, it was Tennis Magazine, um, not very long back, had a article, you know, about pickleball on in Tennis Magazine, and uh, the USTA has pretty much embraced it. I think that they would rather, you know, be side by side with one of their rivals, and uh, you know, I uh, or whatever, but but they haven't done this with ping pong. They haven't done it with racquetball they haven't done with badminton and but pickleball they have and why because all of the senior players have pretty much gone over to pickleball uh, about then it's been some time around after that I was, um, a few years back then i was at a place down in florida where my good friend coach randy blumendahl's grandfather was at and it was for a retirement village down there, and they had pickleball courts, and we probably had 20 people playing pickleball and only four people playing tennis. And I asked the guys playing tennis, said, yeah, not many people play tennis anymore. And then he goes, it's too hard. The other guy says, well, it's too fast. 
He said, the ball's moving too fast. And that, that got me thinking a lot about what in the world's going on with, with senior tennis. And if you've listened to our program before, one of the sleeping giants in tennis is uh, the senior, the, the group of senior players um, <clears throat> going to pickleball. And I've always said it is very, very simple what has happened. It's all about the symmetry of our sport of tennis since really, really it's it changed. Of course it changed. By the early 1980s, Prince Rackets came out, and we had the big racket for the first time. We had these 105-inch racket frames, and people said, wow, well, this is pretty good. I don't miss as many balls. Well, there there were other things about it, and then pretty soon people figured out in Prince and other companies, hey, wait a minute, if we're going to make this racket big, why don't we make it more powerful? <clears throat> and they made the racket more powerful. Well, then what's happening is that the the sport got super fast, and um, in the early 90s, and I just want to keep this simple, in the early 90s I told somebody the other day, I've had to relearn coaching about four times from the little small rackets and straight back back swings and making every ball to then being a little bit more versatile and maybe serves and returns getting a little bit better but still about the same to people learning how to hit open stance a lot more and knock and the fire out of the ball. Early 90s, everything became, the, the slogan was, First strike tennis, first strike tennis. And, uh, you know, that. then people started knocking the fire out of the ball. Well, when that happened, there was a big thing that happened in, in that. I, well, first of all, I, I got very confused. I got very, very confused in how to coach. I spent time with the great Tud Bartson. I spent time with Dennis Emery at University of Kentucky, who seemed like he had a handle on first-strike tennis. And Tut told me that, well, listen, you're going to have to still make balls. You have to be able to make balls if you ever want to be good. And then secondly, Dennis Emery said, look, you have to be able to make balls, but you've got to be able to hit big and you've got to be able to move. And uh, he showed me a lot of footwork stuff and, I came out with some videos in the 90s, and they're okay, uh, power tennis videos, and thought I had a handle on it. Boy, if I could go back, folks, if you've ever watched power tennis, it's very, very good. I did that with a small crew in Clemson, South Carolina. You know, and we just, I wrote it out, scripted it, put it together, we put it out there, but I sure do wish I could have worked on the footwork again. I used to say this stuff like load and explode instead of, the footwork that is really, whether you square your stance, whether you open your stance, how you can do everything in one, three, or five steps in recovery step. Uh, there was a the women's coach at University of Texas, a guy named Jeff Moore, I believe, and I think he was he was darn good. But he was up on the footwork, and I think my uh, our women's coach showed me what he was doing with the footwork, one, three, or five steps. And then I, I studied some of the European coaches and found out that the footwork was different. The long story short is that I figured out that 
yeah, it's going to be much faster, but we better be able to move to the ball. We better be able to recover. So all of my seminars sort of went in that direction. But here is the kicker. So the great Vic Braden was at College Park, Maryland. Of course, who do you respect more as far as the science, you know, in, in people than Vic Braden? And, and he was the genius that did things um, and studied the technology, studied all of the science and everything. And I, I got to spend a week at Cota de Casa in California one time with the Junior Davis Cup team when I was coaching Junior Davis Cup for the U.S. some years ago. And I got to see his genius and how he went about things. All right, folks, this is the point. So Vic Braden's at College Park, Maryland, uh, a couple years before he passed away. And he brought up this point. He said, in 1975, it took nearly four seconds, four seconds for the ball to go to my opponent and come back. Huh. He said, now, in 2010, I think it was about 2010, 11, 12 in there. It's probably 2011 or 12. He said, it takes 2.1 seconds. So it is twice as fast as it used to be. Twice as fast. So the, the critical thing then, if it's twice as fast, you need to be twice as fast or the ball striking overcomes the movement. It, and and I, I tell people with high-tech rackets, senior citizens will get a high-tech racket because they can hit a ball a little bit harder. Now, women's tennis, it works okay because they're not out there hitting, trying to hit a home runs and play power tennis. Most of the women are playing doubles, which two people are covering the court. Secondly, most of the women are making strategic shots and moving their opponents, but there's more symmetry. But men, give me a break. I'm getting up in that senior citizen age, and singles are just way too fast for me. They are just way too fast. And so I don't play singles. I can play doubles. No, I'll tell you, I can play my daughter in tennis. I do I do what we call Emerson drills, named after the great, 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 great Roy Emerson. You all know, I always ask my players, you know, who was the champion, most grand slams ever in history before Sampras, and it was the great Roy Emerson. And uh, I think he 14 grand slam championships. But I read an article back when I was a kid, and back when I was a youngster, and I read the article about Roy Emerson, and Roy Emerson was basically, he said he learned how to play north. And instead of east and west, he learned how to play north and south, and he learned how to get the ball down, get the ball up, but he would play Emerson tennis. And, folks, we, we must have gotten. Coach Weber, did you get through South Georgia there and finally able to get on the phone? How you doing? I am. How you doing, Coach? <laughs> Great. I'm so glad. Now, you're going to have to go back. You were not on the line, but you're going to have to go back and listen to the first 10 minutes because it was all about you. And I do absolutely will repeat it, saying that I think you're one of the best tenant minds in tennis, but I bragged on your 
you what a wonderful job you're doing as a father. And I don't know if I can pump too much sunshine there because even though I've known you for 35, 40 years, you, I can't talk much about your son on the program because the NCAA stuff, but my golly, you should be so, so proud. But anyhow, thanks for, thanks for getting on there, coach. I'm, um, and listen, thank you also for the yellow ball network. Yeah. So, okay. I got, here's, here's my article. Can I, can I jump right in there? I'm, I'm talking about how the symmetry has changed in tennis and how everybody's panicking over this pickleball. Ron Smarr, the great coach at South Carolina, Colorado, and Rice University sent me an article. Today I thought, my golly, he's sending me something he put personal on a, on a snail mail and sent me this article. And the, th- the article is, Around-the-Clock Indoor Pickleball Facility Plans for an Opening in the Midlands of South Carolina. One of the fastest-growing sports in the nation is going to get a new indoor facility Pickleball. Indoor pickleball is coming soon. It teases the idea that coming business, the largest indoor pickleball facility in South Carolina with 24 courts. And then let me finish this. Pickleball is a sport that has exploded in popularity in the U.S. according to uh, Peace National Geographic. The sport now has 5 million players across the nation. 40% 40% higher than just 2020. Sport industry is growing so fast, and tennis people, I'm adding this, tennis people are panicking. But me, to me, pickleballs like miniature golf or tennis are that cornhole thing they play at football games. Coach, talk, talk, what's going on here? What's going on with the pickleball? Uh, I don't think they'll pay for it. I don't think they'll pay for it. We have a difficult time in Marietta. Um, they want it, but they don't want to pay for it. They, they have it at, a, at an indoor gym. I don't think the people in that demographic necessarily – I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's everywhere. I mean, if you go to Orlando, they got pickleball at the United States. The headquarters for American Tennis, they feature pickleball. You know, Coach, you just said something I never thought thought about that before. But, you know, golf thrives. Look, you go out to play golf and people drop 100 bucks. Hey, Coach Weber, I'll buy you a shirt here. Hey, you want me to buy the balls? Hey, Coach, hey, golf, how much is the card fee? $60. Okay, you drop $100 and it's just part of the deal. But when you go out to play tennis – I mean, tennis people out there, I'm not running you down, but most tennis people are cheapskates. And, hey, Coach Weber, did you bring any balls? I forgot my you – know, and they don't even buy balls, but pickleball, pickleball won't survive if they don't – if people don't put money into it, right? <clears throat> I don't think so. <clears throat> but, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I just took my son when I was a kid, when I, I guess I was about – 10 or 12, somewhere in there. My dad took me to Fort Lauderdale to the Jimmy Everett Tennis Center. And it was open 24 hours. You could, I think my dad was still um, surprised when they told him that he could get a court at 4 a.m. That was the first available court for he and I to hit on. <laughs> well, the locals, they knew, how to, they, knew, they knew how to get on 
you know, at a regular time, but if you weren't a local, if you were just visiting, it's been a long time since tennis has had that sort of wave. Huh. 70s. But the kids, 70s you know, was the, the big kids like it. The oh, yeah. kids like I think it's a, the other thing is I think it's an ugly, for me, it's an ugly sport. Ugly sport. I have this de- ongoing debate. Jeff Salzenstein, you know who Salzenstein is, right? Oh, yeah, he's a great player, All-American at Stanford, and he runs tennis kinds business. He's got all online Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a very smart guy, yeah. Total tennis very training. Good. Total tennis yeah, training. Yeah, very good man. He, um, he's convinced that it's here to stay, and it's going to get even – it's going to overtake. Tennis is – he thinks he's stick a fork in tennis, maybe. Well, Coach, I – you know, he I'm not – well, I, 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 Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, he may be right if our – I don't think the people themselves are bad. I think I've talked to you – I've told you there's one lady, for example, here at Georgia. There's a guy there, too. There, but, but one lady in particular who she can't help people enough. She loves tennis. You met her. I introduced her to you. Oh, she works for USTA. She yeah, is fa- she's fantastic, right? So the people yeah. that work for the USTA, you know, and I, and I think they get to shine at, at the lowest level. The problem is they've just made this huge move, and I think they did it mistakenly to copy whatever model. And it's an old idea. I mean, this, this, they started doing this in 1987. The reason they created player development was because they were getting pressure from some of the Eastern European countries, Martina, Lindell, you know, some of those to, to, to compete. So they, they sort of nationalized things. And so What's now we're, they're, they're actually yeah. going to find, yeah. Well, they're finally getting to the stage where they get, you know, they've really they've nationalized the tournament schedule for kids. So you've got levels one through seven. And, well, explain uh, that real quick to people, parents who have kids out there playing tennis, because I've been in tennis 53 years, and I have a hard time figuring out on, they go, go to your website on the cell phone. Well, I have a hard time figuring out anything, but, but explain that, what they've done when they've gone to top-down management. It, it, it's, it's tough. You almost have to, you literally have to put on blinders, I believe, and just play. I think, I think, um, I talked to Wayne Bryan a lot. He said, players play. So we don't even, as far as my own child is concerned, and a little bit, I, 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 I do it at a little bit of a risk with my academy because you do need to know a little bit of the ins and outs so that you're not just spinning your wheels going nowhere to play. But <clears throat> they've nationalized the system. There's level one through seven. Now, within that, at the level five now, they've actually created a situation where they flight that. So you can go to that, and there'll be two levels of level five. So really, there's eight levels, let's say. So when they fly it, they they turn it into eight levels. But there's eight levels of tennis. Um, there's constant flux. In other words, th- this will last for a while. It will last for a short while. Right about the time that you get used to it, you think you understand it, I'm willing to bet you and anybody else, they'll change it again. So just when you thought you could, 
figure out what you're supposed to do, they'll, they'll change it. But you've got all those levels, and, and <clears throat> they, they run. There, there are some tournaments that run well and the parents should look at going to. In fact, we just spoke to a parent. I've got a little boy who's very good. He's, I think he's one of the best kids in Georgia. I, haven't, I don't look up rankings and things of that nature. But I believe he's one of the best little 10 and unders or 12 and unders in Georgia. And uh, so we're talking to him about where to go to play. And there's certain places that will do a great job. Other places, they're in it <clears throat> to do it for the money. We just went to, um, if we're talking about tournaments, you got the USCAs 1 through 7. And if you've got young kids, I think one of the best things you can do is Go ahead and spend the money. You only get to do it once. Like you, are, you, you spurred me on. You and Patricia Jensen have always said, you know, you don't get do-overs with your kids. So do it, do it, do it. Over no do it, whatever. <laughs> so it's a very expensive thing. I think. Uh, I think it was a, it was just under three hundred dollars entry fee for the little mo. What? But it was a little bit. Yeah, it's it's very expensive. Whoa. Little mo internationals in uh, Palm Beach Gardens, but it is probably going to be one of the memories that your kid will... Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I'd agree there. Is that, I mean... Is I, that I, I agree. I, I agree completely about the Little Mo. I, I'm outraged by even, you know, some of these tournaments charge $150, $170 entry fee. And, you know, that scares a lot of parents away. But I'd like to make this point to everyone. Uh, so what we did back about about 86, I believe, we developed player development here in the U.S. But it was probably about, where, 2000, 2005 in there, would you say that we started doing top-down management a lot, where the USTA just said, no, we're in charge. We're going to decide how this works. Is that about well, when it happened? Tournaments used to be owned by tournament directors, or when I say owned, they, you know, they... They ran them. They were the Senate. The Easter Bowl, it was run by Cena, Hamilton, and he had, he had the, right. um, the, Orange, the Orange Bowl was, I believe, originally run, and it may still be um, by the Orange Bowl Association, but, but a lot of times Don Dickinson had the Copper Bowl. There were a lot of tournaments that were run by individuals, and like you the said, Cracker Land. Yeah. Right. The Cracker Land was big. Because it was run by jelly. those people, it was run by those people. A lot of times, there was no control over it. It's very funny. Right now, you have the Eddie Her that IMG puts on, and I think they sort of are holding on to their um, their independence from the USTA with regard to that event. It's named after right. Eddie Her started the Orange Bowl, so it's, it's a sort of prestigious event. It's one of the few that are left, and the USC can't quite control it. So they sort of do things the way they want to do it, and, and it's, it's a decent tournament. Um, <clears throat> but like you said, around 2006, they slowly started taking control, especially at the national level, maybe even before that, of the the bigger events, and they were very careful who they gave them to and things of that nature. 
but usually when it when I say careful giving it to, it was usually you know to, to curry favor with this guy or that guy. It wasn't. I was on. I was on a couple of those. Listen, I was on the merit. committee yeah. about 2010, 11. It was disgusting how they would get on the line with USTA officials, and the USTA official basically said, "All right, you've got 13 minutes to explain why we should have the tournament at your place." What? I wanted to smack the guy. You know, I go, what What were you thinking? What are you thinking there? Are you kidding me? And so what happened, and I'm so frustrated. I bring this up most most programs now. We had a tournament in South Carolina for 65 years. Belton, if you ask kids, JP, if they would rather be number one in the state of South Carolina or win Belton, they'd say win Belton. And I think you had the Peach State, right? The Peach State tournament? Sure. Was that now? Is the Peach State? What's the Peach State called now? Level two, blue group, red group. I mean, what what's it called now? Or do they have it? Well, he's the guy. The guy still has it. It's a meaningless tournament now. But it's a meaningless they, they tournament. Yeah, Belton, Belton. They let them keep it, but they said no, no, no. It's meaningless. No. You're you're level four group. You can run the tournament where the kids don't go. They took all the points away. So when we went to this point system, top-down management, it's disgusting. All right, let me tell you one more thing. So this last weekend I went to a tournament up in Florence, South Carolina. All right, nice run tournament, da 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 whatever. But I, there's no draw sheets up, no draw sheets. Now, every time I've been to a tournament at Laurel Park, where your academy is, Laurel Park, Marietta, Georgia, folks, the best run tournaments I have seen in 15 years. There is hospitality there. The draw sheets have been put up where kids can really go gather around the draw sheets and say, oh, wait a minute, so-and-so's name is in red. I get to play a seated player in the second round. Wait a minute, wait a minute, here's Joe down here. Oh, wow. And the kids all get there and they would gather around the draw sheet. Now, Kalamazoo, they had always done that, and I asked the guy who directs it up there, now, are you going to keep the draw sheets going? And they they were thinking about not having draw sheets up there, and I said, are you kidding me? It's so sterile without draw sheets. But bottom line is you've got to understand that, folks, if the government tells people how to do something, basically you're functional when it's top-down, whether it's the drivers, uh, the where you go to get your license, or whether it's the post office, whether it's a government building, it's all just top-down management. We need bottom-up incentives. What you well, say, Coach I, Weber? Can I, can I, well, okay. Yes. So on the draw sheets thing, the Kalamazoo still has the big draw sheets up. You'll be happy to know that the Eddie Her has its draw sheets. I think we got yeah, a picture of that. Fantastic. We got to that, and the Orange Bowl still has theirs. Now, here's the thing: it's a lot of expense to the tournament, and it's a small thing, maybe, but it's a great memory, and that's the that's really what you want to do here. You know, I was down at the Jimmy Everett Tennis Center. I walked in, and there, up until about 2006, they've got all the past winners of the U.S. National Clay Courts or this tournament or that tournament. They had several that they played there. Well, the names, if you look at the names there and you see them, 
really great to see that, and it's a memory. It creates the memories for the kids. What you say about it being sterile is true in that it seems like we now go from one event to the next, and there's there's it's it's hard to do. I the best intention I actually want. I have a tournament that I've had now for 14 years in a row, the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain, and I'm dying. I'm, I'm thinking one day, you know, 100 years from now, it might mean something to win that tournament. That's the way I think, but they'll probably take it away from me at some point. But my point being is that I'm trying to gather the names of all the past winners and somehow be able to compile that and put that together because it, it, it matters. I think we, we've lost – the UST has actually lost that aspect in their right. effort to reform the way that they do tournaments. So you have the tournament directors, because of the top-down management, <clears throat> they have the tournament. They garner the profits from the tournament now. And they basically, because they really don't have ownership in it, that creates a shift. So right now what you have, and I don't know how they'll solve this, but if you play a USC tournament that's at a high level that somebody has, very often they're not going to turn around and put money back into the tournament. So we no longer have banquets. We no longer have fun things that create memories. Here's something that's a real small thing. It's another real small thing. But I was looking at it with a lady that uh, played a lot of these tournaments just recently. Do you remember when, Coach, you would go to these national tournaments and right before it started, you know, it, for some reason it was so relaxed back then, right? It seems like it was just more relaxed. Here now, it, it was uptight then when you were there. It seems, <laughs> it seems like it's, it was relaxed. It seems like it was relaxed back then, though, compared to now. They got all the kids together. Remember how they would get all the kids together? they put them on the bleachers, and they take this giant group photo. And so right. 20, 30, 40 years later, you have these parents who are standing there, and, you know, one of these parents is sitting in the photo next to Lindsay Davenport. You know what I mean? Oh, look what I did. Right. I played it one time against Lindsay. And they had proof of it, and they can actually show their kids, look, see, here's proof right here. So when you, when you have that stuff that kind of ties the culture back together and ties things back together, that strengthens the sport. What we have now is they are reforming it, and it really tears away from the sport. It tears away. And, that you know, that's the hurt part of it for me. I, I, I think that they're, you know, and it, it goes back to when you got on that, just before you got on that committee, I still remember the, this, this guy that, um, he's, you know, he's, Dr. Dr. Kim Russell, he stood up, and you, I think you may have been at that meeting, I know, and uh, we were lamenting the fact that gone is, is, are the 14 indoor championships there in Chicago at that great club, the indoor club. Gone is the Copper Bowl. I mean, there's gone are so many of the great tournaments that kids sort of targeted and went to. Well, it, he stood up and said, he said, he said, he said, he said uh, Dr. Kim Russell said, well, we'll make new traditions. We'll create new this and new that. Well, actually, it's they're finding you can't do it like that. Those new, you can't. It's very hard to create new traditions. So parents, now if they're looking at terms, it may have to. Young probably need to play the little mo. 
they get a little older, 12s, you know, they got to do the USGA stuff. They get a little, maybe a, a smattering of the UTR things. They get up there, they start to get a little older. UTR, for me, for me personally, I think the UTR, at a young age, the UTR is junk. They just, it's a money grab for the guys that are running the tournament. They don't really give anything back. As you get a little older, though, they got some great UTR stuff. The USTA has created their version of the UTR. It's called the WTN. What's well, cool? It's oh. got me excited, Coach. It's got it's got you. It's, it's going to have you listen to me now. Listen. They added UTR. UTR. Now, I know you like UTR, but UTR didn't have this. The WTN has got for us three out of five sets as a format. I want to do Whoa. one. I want to have a tournament three out of five sets. I know you like that. It'd be fun to do one a year. So I think the approach now for parents, it's gotten where, where before it was pretty delineated. You knew what tournaments you had to play. There were fewer tournaments. There's a lot of tournaments now. I think it's more balkanized, though. I think, you know, you've you got to choose a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit from different places, and, you know, go that route. Try to try – to, Try to do it in that way. That, that's really good. I want I want real quick to stay on that topic. Tell me, talk to talk to everybody about. <clears throat> you described Eddie Jakes, you, and I'm trying to think. Couple University of Georgia players who played in the Peach State, and they were up talking about when they were juniors playing that event and how important it was. Do you remember that discussion we had one time? In, at John Drew, it was several years ago, on top of John Drew. John Drew Tennis Center, right? Tennis Center. In there the were Macon. several dads. Yeah, there were several dads down there who were, when they were juniors, the best players, you know, in the country. And they were sitting there watching and looking down. And all of them sort of lamented the fact that, you know, one of them said, hey, remember – uh, Bobby, remember when I was playing here and I, and I threw up at the back? I still beat you, Bobby, but yeah, I threw up here at the back. <laughs> and, and they, they, were, they, they, were remembering, they were remembering it was two out of three sets. They were, so it's really kind of weird today now. If you get, you know, I've, I've told my friend Wayne, it's, he, I think he's going to find, he's, you know, his boys have been gone from junior tennis for a while. He's still connected to tennis in a lot of ways. Wayne Bryant. But I think Wayne when his Bryant. grandkids, yeah. When his when his grandkids get started, I think he's going to feel like Rip Van Winkle and waking up a hundred years later. He's going to wake up, and it's not going to it's not going to resemble what he remembered. And there's a lot of little tiny things that make it random. Uh, there's right, a lot right. of little tiny things that make the ra- it. The randomness it is disgusting now, and I don't. I hate to jump in. But tennis has always been very fair. The better player wins 90% of the time. If you beat somebody, it was a rite of passage. Now it's a crapshoot. Folks, when you play no ad, when you do all this crap, you know, we're short set, four-game sets, there's, it's not memorable. It is not a rite of passage for the kid who wins, and it doesn't hurt enough the kid who loses for them to go forward. It's just a way for the tournament directors to get it over but you remember Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, tradition, tradition. Tradition's important, and we have the USTA is not. USTA, dang it, you guys, do stuff where tradition, history, and heritage matters. What coaches is saying is right. Book, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great book by uh, 
he was an archaeologist and philosopher, I believe, Joseph Campbell, and he talks about okay. the myths of society. But the myths, the myths and the stories that are told in our societies create our cultures. Well, those myths. What's the name of the book, Coach? Create, Joseph. Joseph Campbell. Uh, power. I believe. I believe it's called Power of Myths. The Power of Myths. So. What it is is it, it analyze it goes it looks at history and it looks at the the human race and culture and everything and it, and it analyzes it and it talks about how important those parables and stories and things that are tossed down between uh, people matter and it holds the culture of things together. So when we look at tennis and we look at dismantling everything and starting over. You're starting over with, you know, there will be 100 years from now, or 75, maybe, maybe given, you know, 75. There will be, my son will be sitting, you know, they'll be playing, um, they'll be playing two game sets, no ads. And, <laughs> and, 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 and my son will be looking back, you know, four game sets, you know. So there will at a certain time be, you know, a reestablishing of tradition and culture and things. It, but it's 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 hurting now for that. Tennis hurts for that. Well, James, my son, he loves listening. You know, well, well, I'll, I I tease a little bit. The last time we we, we, we saw a guy that I had seen before, um, and I sent James up to him back when he was twelve, and I said to him, "Go to this guy and and and, and ask him for his autograph. He's a he's a great tennis player." So James went up to him, and it was Brian Godfrey, and 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 so James asked him for the autograph. And Godfrey looks down and he says, "Son, did your father send you over here?" <laughs> and you know he gets he gets a chance around me to to kind of talk to people and see people, and and, and you learn a lot about, and that's where you find the appreciation. And you fall in love with the sport that way. Yeah, you you do, fall you in do. love with the sport, and and. Excuse me, we, I, we can take as much time as you have here. I'm going to go over it a little bit. But, folks, listen. Okay, I, I played city park tennis. Dr. Sid E. Parks was my coach. I never had a lesson. But I remember I got to go to New Albany, Indiana, with a group of high school kids, and the coach took us down. My first out-of-the-city tournament, we drove 100 miles down, close to Louisville, Kentucky. There was a man down there named Sam Peden. God bless him and he had a son, Sam Jr., that was my one of my rivals and people we played against. But I do not remember at all how I did or how I didn't do. I don't remember anything. But I remember Mr. Peden. We had free picnic lunches. Guess what? All of the contestants that didn't have hotel rooms, he had this armory where they had army cots, and we all stayed on army cots with all of the kids in the tournament, all right? And then I remember after I was eliminated, I wanted to stay and watch those guys that were really, really good. And I remember the event so, so well. And I fell in love with tennis to that point then. But it was the history and the heritage and the respect that they all gave. And don't you see, folks, USTA, don't you see what you're doing? Tim Wilkinson said... Kids don't play for points. They play for tournaments of heritage and rivalries. And, folks, pickleball, I mean, my golly, my golly. Here I want to make a quick point. JP, 
anybody in, that lives in Russia or the Soviet, you know, former Soviet Union, how much do you think is taught about the czar and the former, before communism started ruling everything? Do you think there's any history and heritage taught in the schools about the czar and history? I, I, none. I, I, none. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. No, none. They don't. It's all about it's all about what happened, you know, after the Bolshevik, whatever the Bolshevik. I don't know my history well enough, but after they took or killed the czar and all the their family and everything, you know, there's no history at all. We have to preserve our history, though. And in tennis, when you go to that factory they have down there, it looks somebody told me it looked like the hosp- a hospital, big white hospital, or it looked like the the you know the Death Star on on uh, on Star Wars. They, I don't care what it looks like on the outside. On the inside, come on, guys, make it warm. We need history and heritage there. There's no connection for our kids. We don't want to be factory-making and cookie-cutter-making our children. Holy cow. I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet you <laughs> it's either going to be a place where you do not have pickleball or paddleball a hundred years from now, or it's not the oh. SGA's uh, center for tennis in the U.S. Something's got to change there. They don't need to be, be promote. For me, and for the people that love tennis, they don't need to be promoting that there. No, they they need to be using their money. Okay, they had a corporate center up there, and I don't know if the White Plains Corporate Center still has a thing, but they felt like they had to have a training center. I think up in Canada, I heard they do by province, the province, like each state we would have a training center where South Carolina kids would try to get our South Carolina kids as good as we could. We could take on the Georgia kids, and you'd have a little bit of bottom-up Man, bottom up growth and bottom up energy instead of the top down management. Folks, top down management, it's called socialism. Don't you understand? Folks, socialism, it has never worked. It will not work in the United States of America. And anything we do, if you have government controlled, top down management, it will cripple initiative. Rules, Coach Weber, rules never keep bad people from breaking rules. It only stimulates levels of deviance unless people buy into the culture. You, we have to have our kids buy into the culture and play tennis because they love the game. They they, they love the sport of tennis. I love your son. Many, many, he, he, many he of the play. Go, Coach. Well, what happens oh. is this. Many of the people, because of the top-down management, many of the people who are making the decisions, very often they didn't play competitive junior tennis. I think they're marketing people, to tell you the truth. Are they, I, mean, I think they're marketing. They USGA. A lot of them are marketing. And you know, this the same guy, look, what they, look if you think about it, now I, you and I will disagree forever on this, but I believe that the NCAA should be played in Athens. You got the I do too. No, no, no. Look, 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 look. Coach, I coach at Clemson 70 miles away, 
and I used to go down there and tell them it's not the Georgia Open here. Let's make things fair. But I would rather have it at Athens because the history, the passion, the in- local involvement, rather than such a sterile presentation, it's disgusting how sterilized but, but we've made it. But that's, but that's been destroyed. And guess whose name comes up again when you look at that? Dr. Tim Russell. Uh, no, 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 let's not bring it up, okay. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Well, the guy's running the ITA thing, okay, I'm sorry, I, I, you know, but the bottom line on the thing is, you know, top-down management doesn't work. You can get things working. Look, you feel like you have control. It's just like we put managers doing this instead of leaders. We need educational people, not marketing Managers, holy cow! It just the men's NCAA, men's NCAA's was held last year at Illinois. The courts are ugly. This is ugly, ugly courts. The courts there were as ugly as the sport of pickleball is ugly. But it was held there, and I think there were fifty people in the stands. Huh. Yeah. I saw fifty people. Athens, you got five thousand Barking fans. You don't have five thousand right. Barking fans. Maybe when Georgia's not playing, but you still have more than 50 people. You have a, what, a, what about a down there, there, Lake, wherever it is, the Death Star, down there with that factory driven? How many fans have down there? A couple hundred, you know? Not many, and they're Shoot. trying their hardest right now to get. They say they aren't, and they probably aren't overtly anymore because so many people said something about it, but they would really love to see Kalamazoo played down there no 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 God, listen folks junior tennis players people who've backed tennis do not let them ever take Kalamazoo away from Kalamazoo to national boys if you ask any kid in the country would you rather win Kalamazoo than to be number one in the country they want to win Kalamazoo just like winning Wimbledon that'd be like taking Wimbledon and genericize it and move it to some place and Timbuktu you know you don't Guys, guys, you guys just need to. We need educators, not, not marketing people. Let me tell you. Can I, tell you a few, can I say a few bright? This is just. Yep, yep. From my, from give my us a couple well, things. We've got to go bright. here in about three minutes, but give me a couple things. Let me give you. Let me give you. Okay, okay. We just. We just. I think the Orange Bowl uh-huh. is still. They ran that very well. They ran that. They're running. It's still going on. They're running that very well. They got great officials. They got, I mean, they, they do a super job. Now, the facility itself, you know, is should that be the home in the lumpy clay? Should that be the home of a of that time? I, you know, but they run it very well. The Frank Veltry place does a pretty good job of that. Okay, now another place that does a super job is Columbus, Georgia. Columbus, Georgia, and our in our section. Um, yeah. Another place, another place that pops Mobile. up in my head right away. Mobile is run. run Mobile. When you look at around the country, if you look at places, Mobile is super. I'm gonna tell you another place is the Huntsville Athletic Club in in, in yes, yeah, Scott Novak. But the Huntsville Athletic Club in uh, Alabama, they run the girls' 16s, and it, and they do a super job. Let me think if I can think a few other places. Laurel Carrie Park, Marietta, okay, Georgia. Yeah, Cary, North Carolina, 
Sean Ferreira runs stuff there, and when he puts on a big tournament for the kids, you'd like this because you'd love this. They've got it's a big facility, and they've got bridges that go over the uh, little stream there, and you go to your court in the morning. I don't think he does the national anthem. He may or may not, but after that, as the court assignments go up, and he sends them out. He plays on big loudspeakers throughout the facility, Rocky. So if you can imagine. Oh, that's great. These little guys are going out to the court and they're hearing Rocky. I mean, it's really good. That's a good place. There are places that still will really try to do a good job for the kids. But it's not many. It's not many. And so. And the reason I feel like that's important is because I believe that's what it creates the stories, it creates the myths, and it creates the memories for the kids that make it, that's what makes the kids play. That's what keeps them going. That's what makes them enjoy the sport. Uh, Hey, 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 there's something that's that's going on right now. If you haven't done it, Coach, go online, look it up. It's called the Battle of Boca. It's done at Rick Macy's place. He holds a professional tennis tournament every weekend of the year. He gets big. I mean, he gives out those uh, shoes. He does. I mean, I mean, you would not believe he's got the big check. You know, he hands him a check. He's got a $1,200 check, and it's a, you know, a six-foot by four-foot check. And it's just, a, yeah. you know, it's an amazing thing, effort that he's doing. I know that's got to cost he leases a public facility, but I'll bet you he's put in on his own, his own half a million dollars. Well, to the place, to the Rick Macy, I, I, look, Rick has always been a giver. His, his, he's out there, but he puts the work he does out there, and he helps people so, so much. I've always been impressed. With he loves the sport of tennis. He loves working with youngsters. I, I need one more thing here, Coach. First of all, you have to go back and listen. I pumped a lot of sunshine your way, but I meant every word of it, folks. Coach J.P. Weber, if you if you pick up on it, there's few people that know as much about tennis, who love tennis as much, who do a better job coaching. Go to one of his tournaments at Laurel Park in Marietta, Georgia. Go see his – I can't be promoting your academy. You know, I guess I'm not supposed to, but my golly, you do a heck of a job with youngsters, and I'm proud to call myself your friend and a fellow coach, I know. But we've got to protect the history and the heritage of our game. Folks, the books, we mentioned the talent code. You must read that. Uh, what was the name of the book you brought up, Coach, that, about myths? Um, it was written by a guy named Joseph Campbell. It's called The Power of Myth, and basically it just talks about how you you can hold your culture together and you can have a strong culture yeah. if you don't destroy the the myths and the storytelling. History and, and the heritage. And the traditions no, no, and the history, history and, and heritage. heritage. We've got, in the United States of America, we've got to protect our history and heritage, as do every place in the country. And, look, we've got great people that work at the USTA, but the whole idea of bureaucracies and top-down management, that has to go away. I liked it better when we empowered grassroots programs, of, grassroots programs. Coach, yeah. in the history of tennis, in the history of tennis, History, no the heritage. Where, like, 
But if you're in the history of tennis, no matter where you're from, if you were a Zimbabwean, what is it? What tournament is it that you want to win? If you want, if you're, if you're, if you're Wimbledon, and and what tournament holds on to its history and tradition better than any other? Wimbledon. That's right. Wimbledon. There you go. Wimbledon. And we should not, folks, this bastardization and abbreviated scoring. Holy cow, I've talked about that enough. But you don't want to, folks, last words here, as you can understand, never dilute, pollute, or prostitute great things, great points of history, great events for our children, great learning adventures. And remember, rites of passage can only be one, one, okay, through merit, time, or great achievement. Merit, time, or great achievement. And when we give things away, easy to pick up becomes easy to put down. And coach, we got to go. Would you please be careful driving back? Please call me when you get back there. I, I'm just so, so grateful. And God bless you, and, and thank you very, very much for, for all you do, you know, for everybody. Thank and you. It's Coach Chuck Creasy, and remember, you're always in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. See you next week. Come.